I actually ran out of water. I didn't resupply at Wamsutter the way I should have because I thought I was only going to Rollins. And I was probably without water for six hours. Uh, It was very dry. I I was in New Mexico. I ended up consulting my maps and I found where there's supposed to be a little stream when it's when it's wet in the winter and I found a, a big culvert pipe that had some water and I ended up filtering some highly questionable water This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 193, Jim Goodyear is here to talk about the 2,700-mile endurance race, the Tour Divide. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. The Tour Divide is over 2,700 miles of self-supported time trial endurance riding along the Great Divide mountain bike route stretching between Banff, Alberta, Canada and the U.S.-Mexico border in Antelope Wells, New Mexico. The route was created in 1997 by the Adventure Cycling Association. For 19 years now, bikepackers have been tackling this route with top riders finishing in just over two weeks while others don't make it at all. Jim Goodyear is on the show with us today to fill us in on the experience and the mental test that the Tour Divide provides. Jim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Travis. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So, you know, I recently learned about the Tour Divide, and I've become really intrigued with this ride. I didn't realize it existed. Um, This is a self-supported ride in the sense that you absolutely can't have any help from anybody, not even uh, people shipping stuff to you. I mean, you have to use commercial shippers, you have to use uh, lodging and, you know, and everything. You can't have a van pull up and basically allow you to sleep in it, anything like that, right? That's correct. I mean, this this genre of racing is fairly new. It's, it's self-supported racing. So the only thing you can use are commercially available services. So basically, you are you are racing and taking care of all of your issues in between supply points or these small towns. So you have to make sure you're carrying enough water or you're, you need to have enough ability to repair your bike, to carry enough food to get you to the next stop. So it's a completely, it, the logistics of this type of racing can add a lot of stress to what you're doing while you're out there on the tour divide. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's the one thing that really drew me to the idea of it because I've always, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to figure out some, you know, logistically, you know, sane way of of packing stuff on a mountain bike and just going out for days on end and essentially what bike packing has become. And then I saw that you guys do this uh this 2700-mile ride, uh essentially bike packing and supporting yourselves. I think there's such a cool idea. It it is. I think uh it's cool, but uh, the practicality of it. I mean, I I told my wife there was a there was a time when I think I was attracting flies from three counties away <laughs> because 
I mean, you, you go without showering, you're carrying a, just a minimal amount of clothes. The only shoes I had were my, my cycling specific shoes. Uh, so I mean, you, you have one, one rain jacket, one base layer underneath that, and, uh, you're just going on the minimal amount to get you there. And you, you figure when I started in Banff, it was, you know, low forties and raining for the first two days. My feet were wet constantly. By the time I finished, uh, Three weeks later, 22 days later, uh, Antelope Wells was 107 degrees. It was sweltering hot. So, I mean, there's, there's a big swing in weather uh, while you're riding the 2,700 miles, and you got to be able to prepare for all of that. Yeah, no oh, doubt. Well, I definitely wanted to bring up the weather fluctuations later in the in the discussion sure. about it because you just to be able to to have to prepare for that kind of stuff and not have so much room to, to put stuff on, it's got to be very careful preparation. That's right. But let's back up and let's start with you and how it is you got into cycling. I think I read that it was an ACL uh, replacement that basically kicked off your career. Huh? That's right. I, I grew up playing a lot of soccer, some baseball early on. Uh, and I was playing, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I was playing in some competitive men's leagues. And I eventually, in a pickup game, tore my ACL. So that I figured that was pretty good to go that long without having a major knee injury. But uh Part of my rehab, I, I owned a mountain bike, and I decided to just get on a trainer and start spinning. Uh, eventually, uh, I decided to hang up the soccer boots and start riding on the roads around North Texas and found some clubs. And I never thought there would be a sport that would kind of satisfy my need for you know just competition to really push myself, and then also at the same time camaraderie because I didn't see cycling as a team sport. Uh, found a good team to work with in Caden Cyclery here in, in North Texas. They have, own a few shop, three shops here, and really uh, took took off. I just started doing some mountain biking, did the road races around uh, around Dallas area, and then uh, a few years back, I, I'd seen the, this uh, documentary called "Ride the Divide." Uh, the The Tour Divide is still considered an underground race. Uh, there's no formal sanctioning body. There's no formal, in, there's no entry fee at all. Uh, you have to pay a fee in order to have your GPS tracked, but it's still an underground race. And I saw this uh, this documentary called Ride the Divide, and and all of a sudden that came back to me as I started cycling a lot. And it, you know, it was always in the back of my head, and decided that I was eventually going to, you know, tackle this big uh, this big epic adventure. Yeah, and I, I read that you know it's, instead of uh, a race being organized and taking entry fees, this is more of a community organized event. Where in reality, you can do this race, this time trial, any time of the year. You know, assuming you're not trekking through you know, a whole bunch of snow, um, you can do it north to south, south to north. You can do it any time of the year and yes. register a time, right? Correct. The the there is uh, the second Friday in June is what they call the Grand Depart. And that takes, uh, you could take place uh, at Banff or Antelope Wells. The vast majority are in Banff. So there's, there's kind of this big party and send off. And most of the riders will ride at that time. Uh, but anytime during the year, I couldn't do that because of some commitments. I decided to do an individual time trial. Uh, some people say that's a little more risky obviously that's a little more challenging because there aren't any other riders around me sure uh, and i didn't see any other race i saw one other racer heading northbound finishing the day i took off 
Uh, other than that, I didn't see any other racers. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, honor system. When you decide to race it, you send a letter of intent to a gentleman and let you declare that you're going to abide by the rules. Um, and and it's self policing for the most part, and you follow those rules. You do register. You have a, a spot tracker, so that uh, allows people to see you on the route. It sends updates every, anywhere from two and a half minutes to every hour. Uh, where you are so they make sure you know the community makes sure you're staying on route if you go off route you have to pick the route up where you left it so if you broke down or you needed to go off route to get supplies um, you could see that so there is a way to to audit you know the that you followed the official tour divide route while you're out there but yeah it's i i love the fact that it's it's a kind of a still has that underground status I think it's getting more popular, so there's a lot more information out there. There, there are places online where you can get information on what the route's like at different different sections. You can get good information on, you know, bike setup, bike packing gear. Uh, so I think the the people that are are doing it today do it uh, based off. We have the benefit of a lot of people that have ri- ridden this and raced this ahead of us. Yeah, it seems like it's a uh, more of a ride for um you know of course you get bragging rights but more of a a ride for for friends and just to uh to basically ride against yourself and make sure that you can uh, put up with it and compete and uh and make yeah. it through the whole course. Yeah, I think um you know I I went into this I knew I wasn't going to set a record. I mean, the record was 14 days uh prior to this year. This year uh, a gentleman set a new record at 13 days 20 hours. So I mean that that, those are some exceptional athletes out there. And I think most of the people that are racing it, I think there are probably around 170 that raced it this year. Uh, about 40 to 45% of those people don't, they drop out, they don't finish. Uh, and I, I tell folks, I think the, the people that are racing this aren't necessarily racing it to, to win. We're racing it to see if we could finish. We're racing it, you know, we're racing against weather. We're racing against you know, our own fears. We're racing to see, to discover new things about ourselves. And that's, I think that's the big appeal of this race um, uh, and why people go out there and do it. And and I think they're all ages. I mean, 60, 70-year-olds down to, you know, early 20-year-old racers out there. So covers a, a large demographic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about the the route itself. Uh, back in 1997, I believe, is when it was uh, first uh, devised and then first ridden in, in 99, from what I read. It covers essentially the Continental Divide, uh, Banff, Alberta, down through Montana, Idaho, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. Um, there's some pretty grueling terrain in there. There's no doubt about yes. that. So let's talk about your experiences on the trail. And obviously, like we're saying, we're overcoming, you know, our, our mental challenge at the same time. So, yeah, I, I think, um, I, all my preparation. So I figure I spent about a year preparing for this. I was doing the normal race circuit in, in North Texas, which kept me in shape, but you know, leading up to this, the, the six months prior, I was really preparing for a physical effort, which it was. I mean, it, it beats your body up. I mean, you're, you're going without sleep. You're, you're climbing. So I think they say the, the uh, elevation gain is 200,000 feet of climbing, which is equivalent uh, to climbing Mount Everest from base, the south base camp like 10 times. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're just 
you, I couldn't, I couldn't ride in North Texas for five years and probably get that kind of elevation and climbing. Now, if I lived in Colorado, maybe. Uh, but it, it's an insane amount of climbing, and not only the climbing, but I'll, I would look. So each day, I got to a point where I'd look at my maps and kind of understand. Okay, I'm going to try to go 150 miles today. Uh, what's that look like? And I'd look at the elevation. Okay, I have three big mountain passes all over 10,000 to 11,000 feet. And so you, you kind of set these goals. Okay, I got to conquer the first pass, the second, the third pass. But what you don't realize on top of that elevation game, gain is some of these roads are just impossible to ride. Um, you know, I, my bike, I was, my bike and, and gear, my dry weight was probably around 46 pounds. With water and food, I was probably right at 50 pounds or over 50 pounds, I think. Um, and you're, you're going over just rocks that – that are impossible to ride on. So I, I don't know what the amount is, but I figure I, I hiked my bike. I pushed my bike probably up, you know, 20 miles worth of trail, I, I, I'd estimate. So uh, a lot more walking than I thought I would be doing. And uh, the first few days I did so much of that, my Achilles tendons were, I actually had, I developed two knots on the back of my Achilles tendons because my I'd actually, I was wearing racing mountain bike shoes, which are carbon fiber soles and right. absolutely no flex in them at all. So my Achilles tendons were taking the brunt of that and I had to, to adjust my stride and shorten my stride. I probably would have chosen different shoes if I had known how much walking I was going to be doing. But it, it, was, it was miserable at times. And, and you're out there and you hate the trail. There are times when you absolutely hate that trail at the same time, you love what you're doing. You love the challenge. You're like, okay, you know, my, my legs aren't strong enough to, to ride up this hill. You're going to walk me up this hill. So let's go, legs. And you just have to get up the hill. Yeah, that was my first thought when you said you trekked uh, up to 20 miles. I thought, you know, on mountain bike shoes, and I and I use regular mountain bike shoes, you know, more yeah. of a, a, a low top with cleats in it. But yeah. man, you're talking about a carbon fiber sole. Yeah, that gives no give, and you can't, you don't even know to train for that. Like, how do you how do you train for hiking in in rigid mountain bike shoes? That's right. So <laughs> that, that that was something I wasn't quite ready for. That caught me by surprise. Yeah, that's and a good it, I, one to follow in the tips and tricks category there for sure a lot of guys will tell you to buy shoes that that are one or two sizes bigger just to account for the swelling that you're going to get um so i i thought about that you know i had some insoles i could take them out if i had the the edema or some of the swelling in my feet i really didn't have a problem with that um but i just didn't think about the the climbing and having a more flex uh, a sole that flexed a little bit yeah no doubt so let's talk about the terrain itself. Um, it, it, this is predominantly off-road stuff, right? Yes, yes. There, you're, you're, on a, you're, you're on pavement going into some of these smaller or some of the larger towns. That, so there, are, there is some pavement, but the, the majority, vast majority of the time you're in the wilderness, high mountain, high desert. Uh, you're on fire trails, gravel roads, some off-road trails that – there were trails that were definitely designed for like motorcycles and off-road vehicles that we were riding on. But it's a series of trails that just connect. The, the Adventure Cycling Association has, has mapped it all out, and we follow that. And they're just, I mean, the beauty that you see out there. Now, you're, you're experiencing pain, and there were times when I was in the pain cave for days at a time, it felt like. But at the same time, I'm, I was enjoying the views because, uh, I mean, I, I saw moose. 
I saw a badger. I saw a lot of cows out there, obviously, grazing in the high country. Saw black bear, brown bear, saw a lot of elk. Um, so you're, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, some of the, sometimes the roads are good. And, and there are times when they're just the washboard is just miserable to ride on. And you have to ride on it. Yeah, I'll bet to the emotional swings are extreme highs and extreme lows, and probably many of those within the same five minutes. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I was saying that earlier. I, I prepared for this physical challenge, but I, I had no idea how mentally draining and and uh, you know the the mental aspects and and not just mental aspects, but when when you're that tired and that fatigued and you're going that long, what happens is mentally you start getting weaker. And then that spirals into this, just this emotional state where you're 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 like a child and you're mad and you're angry and it's like, you know, I'm the one that chose to do this. I know where the finish line is. <laughs> so 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 get control of yourself, Jim. So you, you you have a lot of really good conversations with your handlebars while you're out there on on the trail. Uh, but yeah, so so what happens is you're you're th- there were three times where I rode. 250 miles without stopping, wow. you know, may, maybe an hour. And the next day I was worthless and, and I should have known that I, I, I pushed myself too hard and then you pay for it the next day. Uh, but, but what happens is you're, you, you just go hard physically and then you get into this mental state where you're, you're like a robot and that's okay. But then you start making mistakes. Um, Every time the grand, every year when the grand depart starts, uh, there are some forums that they'll they'll start a lost and found forum, and and I was actually making fun of people this year, um, and I was showing my wife. I was reading all people leaving their phones and then saying, "Hey, any racers in this on this leg of the race? If you see a phone at this spot, try to pick it up and try to get it back." Or uh, there was one woman who who said she lost her phone and somebody found it. And then she said somebody had stolen her, her jacket and I think a sleeping bag. And it turns out she left her sweet roll open and was, things were just falling out along the route. Oh, no. And, and I, was, I was kind of laughing at that, making fun of that. But, but little did I know I would start doing similar things because you're so fatigued that, that you, you don't realize what you're doing. I'd lost my jacket twice. I lost a pair of Oakley sunglasses. I lost my pump. I lost a glove. I mean, so you just start making these mental mistakes when you're that fatigued and you're not eating, you know, you're not getting the type of nutrition you're used to. You're not getting enough sleep. And, uh, yeah, I saw that happen to me while I was out there. Yeah. And that goes back to you talking about doing it on your own instead of part of the great, uh, depart because yeah. you're out there and you're, it's not like you're carrying spares of many things. I and mean, maybe you have a pair of spare gloves, um, but not pumps, not phones, not that kind of stuff. So you start leaving that stuff and it, <laughs> you, yeah. you talk about being mentally exhausted. Now you're mentally exhausted and a little worried about your, yeah. your ability to, uh, to, uh, survive out there. That's it. I, I went two days without my pump. Now I do carry two. I, I carried two or three CO cartridges, so I could still air up a tire. Um, and I had one flat, so it's like you don't realize the drain and the stress that puts on you. So you're you're riding along. You realize I realized I lost my. I, I didn't have my pump when I was repacking. I got a jacket or something, and I realized my pump was gone. So so what happens is you you 
you have to be real careful mentally that you don't go into a real negative place because you're you're riding on this trail. It's beautiful. Your legs feel decent. You're going and you're like, what happens if this? You know, I'm like, okay, I only have a couple CO cartridges. What if I run out of those? You know, and and you can go into a pretty dark place. And when you're that negative, you know, it's hard to be real productive. And so you, you got to rein it back in and say, okay, I got two CO cartridges. I have two more spare tubes. I'm okay. And if that goes down, I'm going to have to do what they say and stuff my tube with grass and see if I can get to a, you know, uh, a, a place where I can repair it. But you got to really control yourself mentally in those types of situations. It's when you're doing an individual time trial, my fork started making some noise on a couple of legs and it's, it, I mean, I, that's all I could think about. I'm like, okay, what happens if my fork breaks? Because I had a suspension fork. A lot of guys now are doing it with completely rigid bikes. No suspension in the back, no suspension in the front. I had a, a, a suspension fork and started making a lot of noise. And again, it, it, uh, I probably wasted a lot of nervous energy worrying about that. And it got me through the, the race fine. Yeah, I'll bet. That's interesting. They're doing it with rigid suspension now. Is that more for longevity, wear and tear on the bike during the Yeah, trip? I think they're doing it because it, it simplifies the bike. Uh, and they don't have to worry about a, a mechanical breakdown, and they're doing it for weight. Uh, rigid fork's going to be a lot lighter. So it, it's, all, it's all trying to get your, your bike and your kit down to the lowest amount of weight possible if you're going to be racing it. And there, there, are, there are, I don't know how many, there, there are a lot of people that will tour the Grand Divide, the, particularly up uh, kind of northern Colorado, a lot of people in, in Montana, and a lot of people in, in Canada. You see them bikepacking, and they're carrying a lot of gear. We're talking 60, 70-pound bikes with big paneer racks and <laughs> right. you know, camp stoves and coffee. And, and they all have gray smiles on their face because they're enjoying themselves. And I come up on them, and they know exactly, just by the look of my rig, they know that I'm, I'm built for speed. Uh, and and so people can go out there and enjoy themselves, but there is something about racing it and pushing yourself to to limits, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's what the 170 plus people did this year when they when they race declared that they were going to race the Tour Divide. Yeah, no, I I totally get it. I would be the the touring person with the you know the 150 pound outfit. Yeah, <laughs> out I, there with I, a smile on my face. <laughs> I mean, there's something to that. I mean, do, I I uh, I think doing an individual time trial, I I stopped, and every time I ran into a, somebody that was touring, I I tried to take a picture. I spent a couple minutes with them if they wanted to talk, and they were always, you know, appreciative of that. But they, you know, they it would be nice to have a cup of coffee. I told my dad I'd love to go back and tour the Montana section with a fly rod. Yeah, because I love to fly fish, and I could see myself just kind of riding putting in some miles and then just saying, you know what, that looks like a great stream and then going, you know, wetting a fly. Oh yeah. Sounds good to me. Have you heard of the Sayuai Iris 4G action camera? It's adventure sports first, always connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sioi.com and sign up for free. 
Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skimboarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers, and join in on the fun as it happens. That's L-I-V-E dot S-I-O-E-Y-E dot com. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bentgate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bentgate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. All right, let's talk about the bike itself. I mean, obviously, these days, mountain bikes, or any bikes for that matter, can, can vary in such, uh, such vast ranges. Um, what is it you rode? You said it was rigid, so you didn't have any suspension. So what is your bike, and how is it outfitted um, in order to carry the, the, the bare essentials but not be too heavy? Right. So, so most people are riding hardtail mountain bikes. I rode a Scott's scale 910 uh, that was the model it, it had a fox uh, suspension fork uh, the weight of my bike is a carbon fiber bike the weight of my bike with the pedals and no bags or anything was 24 pounds and then what i did was i equipped that with um, what are called jones loop h bars so it's a it's a it's a handlebar that gives me multiple positions a lot of people use this handlebar set up for bike packing and then on top of that, I put some arrow bars to give me some even more, di- give me just different positions on the bike so that I could rest my shoulders or my back and, and allow me to keep going without any fatigue. Uh, so that was the basic bike setup. Then uh, for the packs, what we usually do, anyone that's doing ultra racing, uh, a seat bag is, is necessary. So it's a bag that hangs off of your seat and your, your seat post. And that carries a lot of the weight. That's, that's where you're putting some of your tools, uh, some of your clothing, uh, your water. I had my water, water filtration system in there. Uh, then I'll have a, a sweet roll that attaches to the, the front handlebar. So it looks like a, a roll. And that had my sleep system in it. So I had a, a sleeping bag, a bivy sack, and a tarp. Uh, and once I got through the, uh, once I got to Helena, Montana, I sent the bivy home and just had a sleeping bag and, and a tarp. That's what I used the rest of the way. Um, and then a frame pack, uh, the, I, I held extra water in the frame pack. Uh, and then two little pouches, uh, on the top tube that carried things that I needed quick access to, uh, some of the tools that I was using quite a bit. I kept my phone in there, uh, uh, kept extra batteries in there. And then, uh, there are two feed bags that I had that I just shoved food in because one of the things that you actually get tired of eating on this route and they were called, uh, my bags were all made by Revelate. 
uh, with the exception of the frame bag. And uh, these mountain feed bags are, are kind of round and they sit off to the side of your on, on your handlebars and you just shove them with food. And, you know, I was trying to consume between twelve and 15,000 calories a day. And so I, I was trying to eat every single hour and you got to have food handy and that's what I was doing. And then I had a small bag, a ultralight backpack that I was using uh, and and I didn't I didn't want to carry a backpack, but I found that I was having to carry so much food that uh, when I when I hit Steamboat Springs, I actually got a, a nicer uh, 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 Osprey backpack to to carry more food and water. Since I was doing some of the longer stretches in New Mexico, where there was no water available, I just really needed to to distribute the weight more more evenly. So I got an Osprey backpack. But that and that's that's pretty similar. Most of the guys are using a a setup uh, pretty similar to that that are doing the ultra racing. When you get into the touring, they get more. Uh, they they tend to do the pannier, kind of the saddlebags, either on the front or the back, uh, and they're they're not as worried about the weight as the ultralight racers are. Right, right. Yeah, I imagine the the food and water is probably the one of the more difficult things to manage because you don't have a lot of room to store it, nor do you want to carry that much weight. But there's probably got to be some pretty serious stretches in there before you could reprovision. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, so so again, going back to that mental aspect, there, there are stretches like a, there's a stretch through what's called the Great uh, the Great Divide Basin in Wyoming, where there it, it's this weird area. Where the water will need when water when it rains, the water will neither flow towards the east or the west. The Great Divide actually is the dividing line where water will flow towards the the Mississippi or the Pacific, the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. Right. And the Great Basin, the water doesn't; it just sits there. It doesn't drain in either direction. And and so you're going through an area that it's almost like a moonscape. Uh, there are no services. You're just riding for 100 plus miles until you can get some service out there, um, and you you're so so basically you take off and and I rode that nonstop. I, I rode 200 plus miles. I think it was about two 240 miles without stopping through the Great Basin through the night. But but the thing mentally is you're carrying about a day's worth of food to get you to the next stop. You're carrying a, maybe a day and a half of water if you're carrying extra water, and if you have a if you have a catastrophic mechanical failure, you're a three day, three or three or four day walk out of there with only a day of food. Mm, yeah, that's and a good it, point. And again, you when when you're doing an individual time trial, that starts messing with your mind if you're not careful. You, so you got to kind of control your emotion, control the mental, you know, kind of stay positive and know that you can get through this. I uh. I ended up the the one thing I didn't I am I, um, I sliced the sidewall of my tire in the great in in the basin as they call it. It was probably two in the morning. I get this flat and I look and my sidewall sliced and that's that's a repair that you you could handle. You boot it up, but but if that slice keeps going, you could get in some serious trouble. And I didn't bring a needle and thread. I had an extra tube, but I didn't have an extra tire. Uh, so I booted it up. It, it held there. The, the tube was good and, and it got, got me through the basin, but, but boy, I was riding pretty gingerly and I was, I was very concerned about that tire until I got to a place where I could give it the attention it needed. 
Wow, that's a good point. You know, this is obviously not something you just dive into with a with a regular mountain bike and no knowledge on how to to fix it. And it's not even just a matter of, you know, understanding tools and understanding mechanics and to fix your bike. It's things like blowing out a sidewall like yeah. you talked about or a tip like stuffing grass into the tube or tire. I've never never even thought about that, never heard about that, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, just ways yeah. that you can get through and especially when you have that kind of uh, limited food ration. Yeah, I think a lot of people there there are really good resources out there that'll show you. I've I've seen people talk about it and I've seen I've seen YouTube videos of people stuffing a tire with 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 grass to get them to a, another location. It it obviously would destroy your rim on the stuff I was riding on, but yeah, you you definitely carry a lot of duct tape. Uh, you know, a lot of zip ties uh and and you hope you don't have to use that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about uh, a story or time that was just the the best moment on the trail in this uh, in this ride that you did. I I think uh, it's funny because some of my best stories, even though the the scenery, I, I walk away from the ride just I, while I was out there. I said, I will never do this again. I will, <laughs> you know. And you leave and 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 you hear that trail calling you back. Right. I mean, I I. Uh, Every I've been home a, a little over two weeks now, and every single night while I was sleeping, I've had some dream about that 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 tour divide route. Um, just the beauty that I miss and the the serenity, that kind of stuff. But but probably one of my best best moments was when I was in a really dark place, and and so so I had I had gone uh, again. It was one of my longer stretches. I, I'd done about 250 miles, about 30 minutes of sleep. Uh, I got to a, a place where I could just sleep and I, I, I camped out and I was actually 10. The, the next leg was about a 70 mile stretch to Steamboat Springs where I was going to have my, my bike repaired. I, I'd been riding about 500 miles without a front brake caliper. My, I had failure in my brake. It just, the caliper wouldn't, wouldn't compress and, and release. So I was using only a back brake. So I woke, I, I'd gone a long day. I woke up in the morning. There was no place to get food. It was about 10 miles off route if I wanted to go to a gas station. And I had maybe seven pieces of, of food. I, I had a couple bars, some beef jerky, you know, just not enough food to get me over the pass to Steamboat Springs. And, and again, things like this happen when you're fatigued. There, there's a place called Brush Mountain Lodge. Kirsten is one of those trail angels. She, she watched, she's one of these people that watches. She and Russ, uh, Russ Kipp at uh, High, High Country Lodge in Polaris, they're probably two of the, the most well-known trail angels out there. They actually watch the track leaders and watch the uh, GPS trackers, and each rider that comes through, they take care of them. That's cool. And, and so they, they treat us all real well. Well, Kirsten and Brush Mountain Lodge were only 10 miles away, but I didn't pay attention to my cue. No, I, I had cue cards telling me what to look for and what was going on, but I was so fatigued I wasn't paying attention to that. Instead, I was worried about my food situation. I decided I would, I would go the 70 miles and I would just go easy. I, I wouldn't push myself too hard. I'd probably walk a lot because I didn't. I, that wasn't enough food for breakfast, let alone lunch and the, the demands that I was going to put on myself that day. Well, I'm going up, I'm in the foothills in Slater, Colorado. I come around this turn and I just hear somebody 
it's actually Kirsten running out saying, Jim, Jim. And she, she runs out. She, <laughs> she greets every rider with a hug and just takes care of the riders. I mean, she, uh, so I went from a place where I was, I was in a, in a negative situation in terms of food. I had a big climb in front of me to get to Steamboat Springs. Uh, the day before, I had done 250 miles. So I, I was just really in a bad situation. I come around this turn. I get greeted by Kirsten. Next thing I know, she's like, take off your shoes, sit down right there. I think I ate nine or ten blueberry pancakes. I had eggs, sausage, coffee, water. You know, she just took care of me. And then even before I left, she said, okay, take any supplies you need to make sure you can get the steamboat. So I had the drinks, the, you know, uh, I, I resupplied and stuffed some food in my backpack. And, you know, when you, the, the, the swings that you go through, that, that epitomized what the tour divide's all about. Just going from really concerned to, man, I feel great and I'm going to enjoy this next leg. And, and that, that was definitely one of them that I'll, I'll never forget because it just changed everything for me. And it, it showed me, you know, how quickly things can change out there on the tour divide. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's take a, a break and step aside from that stuff. Before we started this interview, you were telling me that you and your wife uh, do an essential oils uh, business, and I was a little intrigued because I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what all essential oils does for someone. So tell us about that. Yeah, so so we we uh, we uh, sell and and educate people on the uses of Young Living essential oils. Uh, we've been doing that for third. Actually, she's been doing it for over 13 years. I left my job in the corporate world as a VP of sales in June of 2014 and, and decided to join her. Um, I've always been healthy. I've always pursued, you know, I've always had a healthy and active lifestyle, but really started using essential oils for recovery. So essential oils, these are volatile compounds you put on your skin. Uh, you know, most people have heard of lavender oil, but but we have a, a whole array of oils that help you. So I Part of my, my experimentation with getting ready for the Tour Divide was seeing how oils can help me recover quickly. Uh, as of anyone over 40 years old would be considered a master's athlete. So it's not just the effort you put out on the course when you're racing or you're riding hard on a weekend, but it's how your body recovers. And, and a lot of that is getting the right sleep, managing stress in your life, uh, getting the right nutrition. And then also it's, it's getting the right supplementation, so what your body lacks or what you're not getting. So, so using supplementation, using essential oils, like uh, you know things like uh, j- just from, from natural plants that are out there and putting those on my legs, putting them on my back, putting, you know, helping me breathe better uh, is what, what I do. Um, and we do that full time now. Uh, so I, I did take a, just a handful because, because weight is so important to the Tour Divide racer, I I, I had to limit myself with some of the oils I took, but every night, uh, every night I, I put lemongrass on my legs and copaiba. Those actually help ligaments and tendons, uh, and I had a lot of problems with my Achilles tendons. Uh, the copaiba is an oil that really helps with inflammation, so I'd really oil up my legs each night. Um, I'd elevate them, so I was doing some yoga poses. Um, if I, I, I stayed in a hotel about every three and a half, four days. So if I was in a hotel, I'd actually fall asleep with my legs up above the headboard until they just fall down. 
because I wanted to get all the blood out of my legs. Uh, try to try to uh, you know some people f- run into problems with edema, you know, serious blood pooling in the legs. Right. So I was doing stuff like that just to make sure I I, I gave myself a chance to 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 finish the race without any serious injury. Oh, very yeah. cool. So. Well, yeah, I'll have to check into it. I'm not, uh, I've not researched it much myself, but it sounds like something worth looking into. So where can yeah, people definitely. go to, to find out about it, about your business? You can go to youngliving.com or message me uh, on my Facebook page, uh, Jim Goodyear's Tour Divide 2016, and I can give you any information you need. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes as usual, and people can find you there. All righty. Okay. So you... we. Kind of hinted upon navigation there for a little bit, and I wanted to dig into it. So maps, GPS, both are things provided. How can one go about finding the routes that they would need to to use to either run the time trial or just tour? Yeah, a lot of good resources online, but you you have to go to Adventure Cycling Association. Uh, their website and buy the list of maps. So they have, I think it's a series of six or seven maps. I think it's six maps plus the Colorado section. They are detailed maps. I mean, down to, okay, at 67.7 miles, it's going to fork and you're going to go right. So highly detailed maps. Uh, They give you a good understanding of the elevation and what you're facing each day along the route. And they also sell a book that kind of goes through the the real nitty-gritty that could tell you, okay, there's a primitive campsite here or there are camping opportunities along this stretch. Uh, they tell you where water is. So those, everyone that's racing and riding the Tour Divide, just about everyone out there has a set of these maps. Um, if you're racing, they also have GPS coordinates. So we download GPS to our Garmin devices and basically follow a purple line. That's what we're doing most of the time. Uh, we consult the maps to understand kind of some of the, the, the elevation points and what we're getting into. But for the most part, I turn myself into a robot and follow that purple line <laughs> on the GPS and then consult the maps when I'm like, how long is this leg and what do I have left? Because sometimes you're like, oh, it's only 13 miles into Silver City. But then you find out that, that you're, you have to go through this, uh, this, this uh, Continental Divide trail that, that is basically, for the most part, unrideable. So you're pushing your bike for about six miles, and you didn't really understand that. You should have paid more attention to those maps. Um, but those are the two main ways that, that people are navigating uh, the Tour Divide. They're using those two resources. Okay. Yeah, I'll bet that, you know, it seems like neither one, you know, is, is something you want to do without because obviously to have the maps in case the, the technology goes downhill, um, is, is a definite, but at the same time with limited food and water, uh, supplies screwing up on your navigation skills on a map could really put you in a bad spot. So having that yeah. purple line is not a bad thing to have. It is. There was a time, uh, if somebody were to go back and look at my, my, GPS track that I did on, on during the race. There was a time where I, again, this, this was fatigue and it was my fault. I thought we were going through a town called Rollins. And in fact, there, there's so much construction in this little town that they've, I think they're going to keep the route going through a, a town called Savory. You know, in, in survival, it, there's this idea they call, they call it bending the map where you, you, 
you know what the map, you saw a map and you know what it said, and yet your mind's trying to make you go somewhere you're not going. Right. And and I got into that, and I ended up going in circles for a while. I I just wouldn't follow my GPS. I didn't trust my GPS because I said I've got to be going to Rollins. And uh, yeah, you can get in trouble if you're not you're not uh, you don't have the right resources if you're not paying attention. And even with the maps, even with the GPS, I, I spent about uh, at least an hour or two going in circles until I figured out I'm just going to follow this purple line. <laughs> and and sure enough, it got me to Savory. So. We, we, we've all at one point or another had that same purple line try to make us drive a car down the bike trail. You know, so it's, know, it's easy right. to uh, to doubt a, the thing at the same time. That is, yeah, you start down and stuff like that. <laughs> it's funny. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you. All right. We'd covered your best moment. What about your worst moment? Imagine in 2,700 miles, there's got to be a time where you just thought, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So so the, there were kind of two on, I'm glad this did. On the second day, I actually had my rain jacket fall off of my my pack. And, and if this would have happened a week or two in, it was so demoralizing on the second day. I had... It was it was cold enough, and there were enough storms where if I didn't get my jacket, you know, potential hypothermia, I would have had to just set up camp to to stay out of the rain, uh, and I had to backtrack miles, and this this was hours and hours of wasted time. So that was pretty demoralizing, but it happened early enough in the race where I was able to recover the next day. Uh, but again, I, I think the really the, the lowest point in the race was. 
that leg going uh, going from Wamsutter to Savory, where I thought I was going to Rollins, and I ended up, I actually ran out of water. I didn't resu- resupply at Wamsutter the way I should have because I thought I was only going to to Rollins, and I was probably without water for six hours. Uh, it was very dry. Wow. I, I was in New Mexico. I ended up, I ended up consulting my maps and I found where there's supposed to be a little stream when it's when it's wet in the winter and I found a col a big culvert pipe that had some water and I ended up filtering some highly questionable water uh but I didn't get sick the the filter my Sawyer mini pump did its job I got a couple of bottles of water but but that was a pretty dark time when I was like I was real close to to calling it in actually calling 911 um and and that was when I wasn't trusting my GPS. And the weird thing is, is I actually had cell phone coverage, uh, but I didn't have any data coverage because for some reason my T-Mobile phone wasn't working <laughs> on, on that network. So I actually called T-Mobile and I was like, you need to fix this because I'm lost and I need to figure <laughs> out where I am and I need another device to verify what I'm doing here. And I had the T-Mobile tech support kind of trying to fix they couldn't figure out the problem they thought it was their network and not their phone i i don't know what the cause was but i actually had the t-mobile tech support looking up on track leaders to see where i was and overlaying that on a map so i was i was doing everything i can and i finally just said forget it i'm going to follow this uh follow this uh purple line that and it got me to savory but that was a pretty rough rough time to to go without water, to be that fatigued after such a long time in the saddle. It's, uh, I pushed my body to a point where, you know, I I wanted to quit. Uh, I actually had talked to my dad and I texted him and he's like, no, you can't quit. Keep going. And, and, you know, that encouragement was something I needed at that point. Uh, because I think he understood I, I was able to filter two bottles of water. So, even though I was very thirsty, I was without water for six or seven hours. I had water at the time, and and I think I think what was happening is I was so fatigued from riding through the night for the last twenty plus hours that it was the fatigue that wanted to quit, not the not the you're dying of thirst uh, wanting to quit. And those are two different things. And I managed to make it. I think I was twenty or twenty five miles out of Savory. Managed to get there, had a good night's rest, and and you know, finish the race. But that, yeah, that was, that was rough. Yeah. I'll bet six hours without water and you don't have a choice, but to pedal, to go get some, it's gotta be just, just excruciating. I just can't imagine being dry that long. Yeah. You're just, and you're so hot. That was one of those, those really hot days too. So, but made it something I could look back on. Yeah, no doubt. Makes for a good story at least. Right. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Let's go into advice for people that would either want to just ride this as a tour or get involved in the actual race. And I got to think, bringing a water filter has got to be at the top of that list. Yeah, you have to have a water filter. You have to think through your shelter and your clothing. I mean, uh, you're going to experience everything from downpours, freezing rain. Depending on the year, you could be at elevation running into snow. So you have to be able to handle the elements. You have to be able to do some basic bike maintenance. Um, you got to be able to to filter your own water. Uh, you got to be able to carry enough water to get you to the next point. Um, and you got to be able to ride. So you need to be in in 
You know, I, I think, and people have proven this, you don't have to be a world-class athlete to complete this race. But, but you have to be determined. You have to have kind of a baseline of good health. You got to be able to spend long hours in the saddle. And uh, depending on how many hours you could do a day will we'll determine when you finish. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, plan, plan, and more plan. Study the maps. Understand where it is you're going. And if you ever have to, to doubt yourself, at least maybe you can fall back on that planning and understanding. Yeah, I think uh, – you know, my thing was, is I, I, there are a lot of good resources online. Again, uh, Adventure Cycling Association, bikepacking.net has a great forum. You know, Facebook is a good place to go because people that have completed, there, there's a, you know, once you finish the tour divide, you're, you're in a, a small group, you're, you're in kind of a small group of company there. And we all, we, we want to encourage everyone to pursue it. If, if this is something you're considering or want to do or it's on your bucket list, you're going to get nothing but cheerleading from from all of the veterans that are out there. We want people to pursue this. We want to share as much information as we can. Uh, and uh, we want people to, to, to go out there and test themselves. So this is, this is uh, the, the information out there is readily available if you're willing to pursue it. And, and we want you to, we want to encourage everyone to go out there and chase this dream, chase this uh, race. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds amazing. We'll definitely get those links up, uh, like I said, so people can do a little research by going to our site and click through to those links if they want to look into it themselves. Definitely. All right. Last one. Um, Plans. Do you think you'll do this one again? Do you have your sights set on others? What are your thoughts for the the future? Man, if I said I plan on doing this again, my wife... Uh, I hope she's not listening to this. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I uh, again, while I was out there, I w- I was telling myself, "What did I do? Why am I out here? I hate this." And the very next se- sentence was, "Man, I'm having a great time." Um, and, and I think again, as soon as you leave the tour divide, you start thinking about it. I mean, the the first full week I was home, I woke up. At, I would wake up in the middle of the night going, "Where's my bike? Where's my bike? I gotta I gotta go." And it's amazing how 20 plus days on this, in this race will, it just captivates you. And there, there are, um, I've spent some time on, on, uh, on just looking at other ultra endurance race. I, I really respect all the, the men and women that do, that pursue this, this ultra endurance self-supported racing. And there are a number of really, there's, there are a number of great races out there. There's the Trans Am, which is more of a road race that goes from, Oregon to Virginia. There's there's the Colorado Trail race. There's the Arizona Trail. There are some really good races out there, and I, I wouldn't put it out of out out of um, question. But right now, I'm letting my body recover, uh, recovering from some adrenal fatigue that I have, and uh, it, it might be something I pursue in the future. There's actually a race coming up in October that's a, a, a rally across texas and i've got some friends that are doing that so i'm talking to them and uh, supporting some of them and uh, as they prepare for that big one but well, you're already talking to them about it i bet you'll get drawn in that's kind of how it works yeah the, the i it's it, i did the granddaddy of them all so i could say uh, <laughs> uh most of them are in that 500 to 700 mile range uh this the the tour divide the 2700 miles that's probably the large the, the biggest off-road race 
the Trans Am is over 4,000 miles on paved roads across right. the U.S. So different styles out there, but the, there, there is something about just being out on your own and saying, I'm going to conquer this and pushing yourself. And uh, I won't say no, but uh, I don't have any plans right now. Yeah, a little too certain to, to tell, I'm yeah. sure. So That's all right. right. Well, that was fun, Jim. I appreciate you sitting in and filling us in on the Tour Divide. It sounds like it's a blast. I would love to uh, to get up there and, uh, at a minimum, tour it and take a lot longer to do it and just enjoy the scenery because I know how beautiful it is. So, I do appreciate your time and coming and talking to us. Well, thanks for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. And to our audience, uh, until the next episode, get out there and try something new. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the lot. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com. Don't forget to pick up your Adventure Sports Podcast t-shirt at the link on the right side of our page at adventuresportspodcast.com. Now get out there and try something new.